Hello, listeners of the Mad Scientist Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Cogswell, here with a bonus mini-episode, or mini-sode, or maybe bony-sode, mini-bony-sode, bonus-sody-min. It's all very confusing right now. Anyways, we're here with a bonus episode. Let's just call it that. Now, if you've been listening to the show, which I'm assuming you have been, or you're just starting on this mini-episode, which is kind of an interesting place to start if you don't mind my saying so, about three weeks ago, we had our very first Be a Mad Scientist contest. In that contest, we asked you, the listeners, to come up with your most intriguing and scientifically interesting argument for some method to create a space defense for ships or cargo things or whatever, life systems, anything basically in space. So the challenge to you was to please come up with some method of protecting your ship, whether that be defensive or offensive, inside some kind of space warfare scenario. Now, we had some really great entries into that, but one entry we had was kind of a strange one. You see, our good friend over at the eastern border, Kristaps, told us that he himself knew what space warfare was going to be like. And the way that he knew this was, he said that he had been contacted by himself from the future. Now, if you've been listening to Kristaps' show, you know that he is a strong proponent of the communist way of life, and in fact believes that us here at the Mad Scientist Podcast are very comical uh, capitalist pigs, let's say. So, what we're going to do for this mini-episode is we are going to share with you the entry about the way that Soviet space technology is working in the future, Brought to us by our friends over at the Eastern Border. The Eastern Border is one of our fellow podcasts on the Dark Myths Collective, and I suggest you go check them out. Kristaps has agreed very generously to provide some really cool Soviet uh, pins and other kind of memorabilia for people who enter and win our Be a Mad Scientist contests. So not only will you get the stickers and the doodles and the stuff from us, you'll also get a really cool piece of history from Kristaps and the Eastern Border. All right, without further ado, here is, I swear, 100% valid and completely correct future history about the Soviet space race direct from Kristaps in the future. Greetings, space comrades, and welcome to this brand new class of 2753 of the United Soviet Socialist Cosmos Republics. We are here now to discuss why our magnificent country under the leadership of Stalin, the third everlasting, has achieved the total domination of human space, and why we shall defeat the Blorg commonality, those damned space mushrooms with ease, just like we defeated the capitalist pigs of the United United States government, as they told us. We have enslaved them all. They are now mining uranium on Alpha Centauri 5. Ha ha, the fools. You are here to understand why our navy is the best. First of all, why do we call this a navy in our academy of military doctrine of space combat? Because space battles just like navy battles on our old planet Earth, are very similar. Because if you think about it, the cosmos is just like ocean, except different. But it does not matter. 
you see, what the biggest thing is, is that in the old times on our motherland Earth, most of the navy battles were fought in close proximity to the shore. If you look at the map and uh, Google this in, or Soviet this in as we incorporated Google, ha ha ha, and killed all of them and put them into mines and gulag, obviously, uh, you can see that 80 or more percent of the battles and all of the battles except uh, those who started in the 20th century and even those were very few and because of advanced technology and those were very few and far between. But yeah, most of the battles, a vast majority, over 95% of all the naval battles ever have been fought in close proximity of something important, that is the land. Because if you're on the sea, we are not the people of the sea, unlike the filthy Blorg, of course. See, we are the people of the land. And as people of the land, all the things important to us are on the land, and sea is there to support us, but you need the boots on the ground to actually conquer something. Now let us go into the philosophy of war for the beginnings. You see... If you go and conquer something, then you do so not because you want to destroy the enemy's armed forces by necessity. No, no, no. You want to get that thing that they have to push forth your military objectives. The war has always a political goal, just like our good old comrade Clausewitz had stated on his own war, you see. Now, on the sea, this is a bit different. Your goals on the sea might be to blockade the enemy trade or to bombard the enemy cities from the sea whilst your ground forces occupy it. This has been, this has been so always since the dawn of mankind. Now, in the space era, this has always been the same. Because... Just like in the previous eras, if you are a lone ship traveling through the ocean, it is virtually impossible to find you. You may know where you are due to GPS technologies of the old era, or now space tracking of our space Soviet era, but it's virtually impossible to fight anything in the open space. Therefore, every battle ever in the space era must happen and has happened, in a solar system of some importance. Because the attacking side wants to conquer something, so they go to this solar system and try to attack it. And the defending side wants to defend their objectives, obviously. Just like in the medieval era of our good old Soviet Earth, most battles during that period in the medieval era, like 80% of them or so, were sieges. And whatever the capitalist filth movies of the ancient eras when we, ca we, when we hadn't yet sent them all to gulags had shown you is complete bullshit. Complete and utter bullshit. Pitched battles were extremely rare and non-existent on the sea. And it is the very same in space or in cosmos because... Even though I'm saying this, saying this in English so that our very few friends in gulags who are capitalist bastards could understand this, it's cosmos, because that's the word in Russian that we use for space. But uh, whatever, I suppose. <clears throat> anyway, back to the business. <clears throat> so, so, if you think about this, 
any space battle whatsoever shall be from an attacking side attacking either a planet or a space station in a solar system. There will be no no battles in the open spaces of the void. Why? Because, you know, once we develop faster than light travel, we understood that starting the process and ending the process of travel were the most expensive parts. Actually, traveling were the cheapest parts. You need a start point and an end point. But breaking down is really hard, and if you have to break down in the middle of nowhere, it leads to nothing. And just stopping somewhere in the middle of nowhere to engage another fleet who's moving just right past you... It's very hard to do, and if you just miscalculate by a tiny, tiny, tiny degree, then you're all done. Then you're just sitting in the middle of space, spending more of your precious fuel, if you've missed, to move on forwards. Now, we did not make these mistakes, of course, filthy Americans did. They tried to engage us while we were traveling through the vast distances of space. (laughs) Well, sometimes they did but they only managed to capture very few percentage of our forces because we obviously were smarter than that and sent our forces with a tiny delay from the launch time, which ended up with a huge delay in distance traveled, so they only, if even if they could manage to capture us in mid-flight by wasting a ton of resources, they could never, ever, ever destroy more than a tiny, 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 tiny fraction of our forces, like a small detail. That is why we were always able to acquire our objectives when the great space battles of colonization began. Now, of course, we took over the Earth with our massive tank armies and total domination of land forces, and their nuclear missiles did not help when we were completely able to endure the nuclear winter, due to sheer numerical superiority and the fact that, I am sorry, but your average pilot's life, average comrade's life, does not matter to us. We just overwhelmed everything. So then they moved to Mars, and then it happened to be a space battle of sorts. Now, back then, in the late, uh, late, uh, late 21st century, it was not so simple as it is now. You see, we didn't have automated targeting systems or everything, but I'm going to speak about right now, you see. They tried to use lasers, which is laughable. They just sat there on Mars, and they tried to use their lasers and fancy-schmancy new technology. The problem with the lasers is they had watched too many Star Wars movies. And you know what that leads to? Defeat. Why? Because, you know, lasers tend to dissipate over long distances. And as they had watched Star Wars movies and thought that their computer game skills would help them win the battles, actually, which was just silly from them, they thought that the battles would happen in visual range, but they never did. And their automated aiming computers did not help them at all. Because, due to the distances involved, their lasers just dissipated and lost all power. And we had built the most primitive shields. They had the way superior shield technology. Don't don't bother with this. They, they had far superior shields, which we now obtain, obviously. But even with our inferior shields, when the lasers hit us, they were just dissipated because we engaged them from far longer distances. And why? Because we used good old railguns, kinetic technology, good good comrades. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, 
But this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Railguns, who uh, managed to launch kinetic projectiles over immensely long distances. And the thing is, it's very hard to hit over long distances with kinetic projectiles because they obviously travel slower than light. But they don't dissipate. They just, you know, in space, Isaac Newton is the most motherfucking badass there is. So, once you launch it, it keeps going. And they're dirt cheap too. It's basically a piece of rock or piece of metal that you just shoot out from the ship. So, that's what we did for 30 years. Even before official war was declared, we just basically launched kinetic objectives towards their bases. They never noticed them because they moved not fast enough, very much slower than the speed of light for the enemy to detect us. So, you know, every workday, eight hours per day, a space pilot goes into the orbit and launches his connected projectile from his, from his railgun. And so on for 30 years. Eventually, they'll reach Mars. That is why Mars is a wasteland now, and no one lives there. And it's still being bombarded, because the war didn't end just, you know, soon enough. We were just smarter than them. Oh, and then they introduced shields and thought that their major shield technology would protect them, because it obviously did from close-range laser encounters. But that don't work in space! I mean, look at the naval history. In all the naval battles, less than 8%. And that was the best record even up to the World War II. Only 8% of, of all the shells hit the enemy. So what do you expect? You have to overwhelm the enemy with volume. But if your shot is laser and dissipates, it is not of no use if your enemy has the very basic sh- dissipating shield. But as we learned, as we learned soon enough, Just as from Stargate 1, if you want to make effective shields that defend you from laser projectiles, then you simply, you know, you have to make some few variations here and there, and, you know, the shields dissipate energy with directly proportional to the energy given into them. So if you shoot the shield from lasers, it will dissipate much of the energy. But if you shoot something low energy, such as a missile, then it will not dissipate a lot of it, because missiles move slowly, but we, but they're cheap to produce, and we have many factories with many earthling capitalists to work in them, you see. And then, then, when we just decided to, you know, replace our fast railgun technologies with very, very extremely slow missiles, which you could love, which we could launch en masse, then, you know, their shields slowed the missiles down even more. But their lasers couldn't hit the missiles, because the missiles were too small and their lasers were only figured to hit huge targets, just as their own Death Star. It was ridiculous. They couldn't hit anything and lasers dissipate. But even if kinetic weapon misses, it still keeps on flying. And as the only battles in space were around uh, huge uh, space stations or planets or something of that sort, then you know, you, they are big objects involved. 
So when we attacked them, we just launched missiles 10, 20 years beforehand, and then they eventually reached, breached through the shield like it was nothing, and then nuked the whole Mars out of orbit. We're still nuking Mars, to be honest. Now, when they tried to do some counterattack to us, they discovered we have no huge space stations to, to de- eliminate. And you know, all the battle is gonna go down to the boots on the ground like on the naval warfare. So you see, they arrive with their big station, but we have still our railguns in orbit, which are kinetic things, which don't dissipate throughout, the, through, throughout space, so we just blast them out of the orbit. They try to charge up their big laser, well, screw their big laser. Our shields dissipate their big laser. Their shields don't dissipate our essentially huge metal rods which are firing in their general direction and we can't miss because this object is so huge. So they at one point tried to do the same thing and fire ju- huge missiles at our direction. But the problem is we had no big space stations. We had small fighter craft. We never bothered. It's like one fighter craft, one huge rod. It fires, goes back down. Because... All the battles are going to be in the space stations anyway. And if we're defending... See, the space is vast. Nothing can stop things. If we're attacking, we can attack from a vast, vast distance. We can just launch missiles and they will hit. Eventually. And no one gives a shit. Now, if we're defending, however, we have our shields. And what we need to really, really figure uh, our attention to and what we really need to focus on is the fact that we honestly need to defend from their ground troops landing, cause no ground, no boots on the ground, no mother Russia being invaded, they're all pussies anyway. So what do we do? We essentially arm our fighter craft with the very, very fast moving railguns, which are useless in space as we turned out, cause you know, shields protect from them too. But that's what we did. And this is what happened. So they're, tr- they're, well, they're big ships destroyed by our missiles because sh- shields don't stop it. Their landing craft destroyed by our kinetic artillery. Why? Because of fire rate. And again, dissipation. And even though the distances were very short, we had shields and our shields worked at the time. So this is how we essentially destroyed the capitalist scumbags. But now, as you might know, we are involved in the war with the Blorg. The Blorg are much smarter than the capitalist pigs of the uh, capitalist pigs of the United uh, fucking nations or something. Huh. The Soviet Socialist Republics of Space do not bother with such triviality. We shall find them and put them into mines to mine our uranium. Because, you know, with combining uranium with nuclear material, great thing can be accomplished, comrades. Great thing. Now, the Blorg, they do teleport around space. And they really, really have tried a lot of times to teleport on our locations to use their short-range effective advantages. What have we done? Well, we are on the defensive on this war. Again, and we have to kind of defend ourselves. So we have been constantly shooting out rockets and and so-called rods from space in all directions from all of our space stations and planets all the time. So if someone teleports even near our location, except, of course, secret space lines, if someone teleports even near our location, they're just dead. Their ships are shredded, because in uh, com- constant intervals, our um, kinetic, uh, kinetic projectiles will shred them to pieces. Of course, you know, uh, we have calculated that um, there are certain planets, a lot of planets, 
a ton of planets, which will eventually get completely demolished and there's, there's going to be a massive loss of human life. But whoever cared about that in Soviet Union, haha, <laughs> let's laugh at the pro- pro- proletariat now, shall we? It's all great and uh, awesome, but sometimes we have had to go on the offensive too. And you know what we did on the offensive? See, we understood the first part that uh, space combat is 3D fighting, not like not like boats and stuff. No, no, no. It's fully 3D and happens out of the complete range of, of vision, you see. Therefore, all these stupid Star Wars ideas with the front going forward and stuff, nonsense. 3D fighting is fully 3D. That is why we have completely spherical spaceships, because in vacuum there are no aerodynamics. There's just, you know less amount of space. You know, if you're quadratic, you can be hit easier. You have more surface space. So we built fighters and spaceships with the least surface space available and made them as small as possible because, you know, it's way more hard, it's way more easier to hit a large target like a Death Star in space with kinetics and even lasers if you can even manage to strike with them. That's laughable. They just like plasma guns. It's all fucking nonsense or EMP. Their range is too short and if you can see the enemy spacecraft, it's dead already. Who the fuck cares? Because it's nonsense. Kinetics, man. Uh, Isaac Newton, best man in space. Don't even bother with anyone else there. I honestly tell you. But yeah, we diversified our fighter crafts. We made a bunch of space uh, space travel available, faster than light capable fighter crafts who were all spherical with gyroscopics inside, which allowed them to travel fa- to change their direction of travel faster than anything available. Now the motherfuckers from Reticuli guys. Or Zeta Reticuli, nobody remembers since we killed them all off and sent them to Gulag. Uh, yeah, these guys, they try to do the same thing, but we learn from them. See, on the offensive, what you do is that you create a screen of a ton of expendable fighter crafts. And, you know, you equip them with very basic shields, but you don't give a shit, really. Because, you know, one Death Star manned by a million troops. Much losses. But if you create a million tiny fighter crafts, they won't get them all. If a Death Star explodes, everyone dies inside. Smaller fighter crafts, all equipped with just a few bullets and stuff. And uh, pre-programmed to just, uh, you know, once the bullets run out, the pilot thinks that he can can just uh, go home. But, you know, in case of emergency, the general secretary pushes the button and fighter craft becomes projectile itself. Nice kinetic projectile. So, yeah, we had about a 60-70% uh, loss rate, but who gives a fuck, really? Right now, we've advanced We've advanced more carefully. Right now, you will be... Um, you, you, As you guys are from the university, you'll be manning the fighter crafts. Fighter crafts manned by proletariat. They dumb fucks. They will most likely just die. And, uh, you know, if need be, the red button is on the top left corner of the thing. If you press, if you press it... Then a fighter craft turn into projectile, good as well. Only one man die, you might save lives. This one man uh, craft projectile can probably destroy Death Star too. Why? Because shields don't help against it. Anyway, with massive losses, because we don't care about manpower, we conquered Zeta Reticuli, learned their technology. Right now against the Blorg, we have different issues. They use sound technology, you see. Sound technology hard to defeat, because radio signals jam our technology almost like magic. We cannot comprehend. What we have noticed, however, is that they're terribly inefficient. They produce all the newest weaponry, but you know, we are outnumbering them terribly. And you know what? It's like this. Well, they, they lose one ship, they lose 
like 20% of their battle power. Because unlike us, which were where we build only one man piloted spacecraft, and obviously all their families get retribution and like Soviet free healthcare and stuff. And these guys, these guys lose, build battleships, build humongous ships, build Death Stars, build destroyers. Totally useless. One man dies, destroys... Death Star, awesome. We have more men than they do. Why? Because we Soviet Union in space, comrade. And this is why you should all learn in the academy, so that you wouldn't be the proletariat actually has to sit in the fighter craft, which will then be used as missiles. And on the defensive front, that EMP blast and everything. No, no, man. You can figure out everything else, comrade. But the best thing in space is still Isaac Newton. Then the best defense in space is still building a ton of space travel faster than light capable uh, spacecraft. So comrades, uh, thank you for this day, thank you for this first lecture, and uh, have a great time. Yeshkemash! Uh, and listen to the Eastern Barn podcast. I hope you enjoy this. Uh, if you don't invo- if you don't include this, Chris, I'm gonna hit you with a stick when I move to US. <laughs> have fun, guys. See ya. In a world infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on. It wasn't that bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network. 